I mean, when you really think about it, there's a bunch of weird stuff that happened, right? I mean, I don't remember if it was Bob or, or Brandon that mentioned that, but a virgin having a child who's going to be a king, and there are a lot of other things surrounding that. You know, I would, I would guess that maybe in your own life, you think there's a lot of weird stuff that happens, right? Things that you wouldn't think would happen, or things that do happen, or things that happen that you weren't looking for to happen. Some of them are hard, some of them are sad, some of them are are tragic in many ways. Some of them are happy surprises. Some of them are really good. And what I want you to understand is that, that your life, as ordinary or as unordinary as you think it might be, you are exactly who God created you to be. It's just finding your place. It's, it's finding your story in his story. And, and as we are involved in that, as we actively seek that, as we surrender ourselves to God and, and we give our life to Jesus Christ, he then begins to interweave our story into his story. And then one day our story becomes history. And that history then can point others, Lord willing, to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the important thing about living our story under his story because he will use our history to bring other people into his story. And then as their story is drawn near to his story, it will just repeat itself again. Because I think, I think each and every one of us have a decision to make. And when we make certain decisions, we can, uh, we, we can basically stop that story as a part of our story, or we can continue that story as a part of our story. Now, I read this week that uh, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle these three things. A snowy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. And I would add to that their response to an offensive sides call in a football game. Or, you know, you can, you, we all have our things, right? We ha all have those things in our life that can be a trigger point that can turn us the wrong direction. And if we will, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the circumstance is, if we will always turn to Jesus in the midst of whatever that is, we will experience his story as a part of our story because that's what he's doing. He's working in your life. He's, he's, he's using you as a tool, as an instrument in his hands for your family, for your spouse, for your neighbor, for your boss, for your children. Um, our story has a huge impact on everyone else's story. Now, last week we looked at Mary's part and her response to the plan change that God sent her way. And... Uh, if Mary had responded differently, if Mary had responded angrily or disobediently or she had drug her feet, it would have impacted all of those around her, wouldn't it? it, it we may or may not have been reading about her story in the book of Luke. You see, God knew what he was doing when he, when he chose Mary. He knew Mary. And God knows you. And a good question to ask ourselves is, Am I ready to hear that word, that challenge, that mission 
from God so that my story can continue to be working within his story. And, and it's the same for us. Um, not only our response to God in the things that he commands us uh, when he changes uh, our plans and he gives us biblical commands, but it's also our interactions with other, others around us. And when we behave, and I, I chose that word specifically, when we behave in a way that is contrary, that is the opposite of trusting faithfully in God and, and submitting to him, it absolutely and unequivocally negatively affects people that are around us and their impression of who Jesus Christ is, their impression of who and what the church is, their impression of what a Christ follower is. And we need to be aware of that. Um, you know, this Jesus Christ whom we proclaim and we should proclaim him on a regular basis, who is our Lord and King. Yes, we are human and yes, we screw up and yes, our lives are a mess. I, I never doubt that to be true of myself or any of us in this room, and, and all of us do, but as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, our character, uh, the responses that we have to the commands of God change. They, be, they grow, they, they mature. Our trust of him um, gets stronger, and, and when something difficult happens or something maybe a little bit more difficult than the last thing that we experience, we look back at that last thing and we go, you know, God was faithful, even then. He was faithful then, I can trust him today in the midst of this that we're experiencing. We will see our failures, not as hypocritical ones, not as failures of I'm saying one thing and choosing another completely, totally, and I'm fine with that. We will see our failures as that, failures, mistakes, as being human beings, and we, will, we won't justify them, we won't rationalize them, but instead humble ourselves before Jesus, repent and be reconciled to him. Our relationship with God, his forming and fashioning of our story, look, it's a journey and we're all at a different place on that journey and we need to recognize that about ourselves and we need to recognize that about other people as we interact with them. It's a process. We are to be clay in the hands of God as he makes his our story into his story. This morning, I want to look at, we're going to look at Joseph this morning. Uh, you probably gathered that by the title of the message. And we're going to look at three godly characteristics that Joseph exhibited in his life. Three responses as his story was interwoven into Jesus' story that we can also seek to replicate and, and uh, mimic and follow in in our own lives. Now, Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus Christ who was the son of God. Joseph was a descendant of King David. And as shown in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He lived in Nazareth, in Galilee, and he was pledged or betrothed to be married to Mary, who was the virgin who gave birth to Jesus. And, and as we saw last week, Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, not through Joseph. So Joseph can be understood as Jesus' earthly adoptive father, but of course he was not Jesus' biological father. 
And if you would turn with me, if you haven't already, to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 1. And I want to read for us verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, we don't see a lot of specifics in Scripture about who Joseph was as a person. Uh, this isn't recorded in the Bible. There aren't recorded in the Bible any words that Joseph actually spoke. We have some from Mary, but we have none from Joseph. But we do have enough information to conclude at least three things about Joseph's character. And these three character traits must be a part and are a part of our own stories as we live for Jesus Christ. The first is that Joseph, Joseph was a man who was humble and obedient. He was humble and obedient. Given the glimpses into Joseph's character we have, we can conclude that he was a humble man who cared deeply about obeying God. For example, verse 19 tells us that Joseph was faithful to the law. He, he knew the law. He lived his life in obedience to it. He didn't respond arrogantly to what was happening in his life. And after the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and, and encouraged him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, what did he do? Joseph immediately obeyed. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And in Matthew chapter 2, flip over a chapter, verses 13 through 18, we see another example of Joseph's obedience. When, when they had gone, they meaning the Magi, when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great 
mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there are no more. Get up and go to Egypt, Joseph heard in his dream. And what did he do? The next day, he gets up and they go to Egypt. Again, Joseph immediately obeys the angel of the Lord's command and takes his family to Egypt, not only saving Jesus' life, but fulfilling prophecy that God hundreds and hundreds of years had laid out how this was going to happen. Look at verse 19 and following of chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt again, and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel every time. So he got up, he took Mary as his wife. He got up and he went to Egypt and he got up and he went to the land of Israel. Joseph presents us a pattern of obedience. He is humble and obedient. He loves and reveres the God of Israel, our God. That's our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we too can love and humbly obey God on a daily basis. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Definitely not Burdensome, but instead life-giving, though we would argue with him many times, right? When we hear a command of God, we hear or we read something, we think that, or we're, we're tempted to, to think that that's just kind of trying to ruin our fun or, or try to constrict us or, or, or trying to, you know, keep us tied up. That's not the case. God's commands are life-giving, providing peace and joy Humility and obedience to Jesus' commands is good for us. It is good for us. In fact, it is best for us. And I pray that we follow Joseph's example. A second characteristic we see in Joseph's life is that he was kind and self-sacrificing. He was kind and self-sacrificing. Joseph had a legal right to divorce Mary when he found out that she was pregnant. Now, I mean, not knowing what the angel said and drawing the logical conclusions of the information that he was getting, he hadn't heard from God yet when Mary said that she was pregnant. Mary had disgraced not only herself and her family, but Joseph and his family. Yet his decision was to divorce her quietly because he did not want to bring any public shame or disgrace on Mary or her family. You know, following the law, yet with kindness, he was going to take action quietly. And even though a public spectacle might have saved his reputation, you know, I mean, we want the other person to experience the same kind of pain that we're experiencing. And at the moment, he's feeling betrayed and, and, and he's probably pretty bitter about this, trying to figure it all out. He was going to quietly end their marriage covenant. How many of us would try to save face in our own reputation by dragging the name of another person through the mud? Not Joseph. Not, not Joseph. He was kind. 
And he was also self-sacrificing because in verse 25, we're told that after their marriage, Joseph did not have sex with Mary until after Jesus was born. That didn't happen. I'm sorry, but that would have been a, a huge sacrifice for me. It was a sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, Joseph would safeguard the validity that Jesus was, in fact, conceived by the Holy Spirit. There was no question. Now, I don't know if, if he thought about that logically. I don't know if I would even think about that logically or if God spoke that to him and said, hey, look, this is the way it's got to be. Or if Joseph just knew, you know what? in order that there not be some sort of accusation that this child is mine, this ain't happening. He sacrificed. Which continues his pattern of character. Joseph obediently followed Caesar's edict. Joseph took a very pregnant Mary on a road trip. And this isn't the kind of road trip that we take around here. I mean, there's no car, there's no plane or train. They would have used the common mode of transportation of the day. Their feet and probably a donkey. Um, depending on the route they took, it's a distance of about 100 miles from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They went to be counted in the census in Bethlehem where his ancestors were from. And in Joseph's obedience to the government even more prophecy would be fulfilled. God's story. His story. I mean, God uses all aspects of our stories, doesn't he, to work out what he uses. He uses the government. He uses you. He uses me. He uses our neighbors. He uses our families. 40 days, then 40 days after Jesus was born, Joseph, along with Mary, took Jesus the seven miles to Jerusalem from Bethlehem to have him dedicated at the temple as was required by the law of Moses. Sacrificing, faithful. And I can see Joseph lovingly leading Mary as they follow God's commands. Didn't matter if, if, if they had ideas of their own, uh, what they wanted to name their first child, they named him Jesus because that's what God said they were to do. Humble, obedient, kind, self-sacrificing. And a third characteristic of Joseph that we can cultivate in our own lives was, was his commitment to keep the law. His commitment to keep the law. Another part of Joseph's life that shows Joseph's strong commitment to keeping the law is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Turn uh, a couple uh, books forward, if you would, from Matthew. Skip Mark and go to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now, I don't know if you have traditions in your family. We had traditions in my family. Every Christmas, every Christmas Eve, we ate this disgusting dish called Lutefisk. Every Christmas Eve. And you had to taste it or you couldn't open presents. And we opened all of our presents on Christmas Eve except for the ones that came from Santa on Christmas morning because we opened presents the right way. 
I'm pretty sure my wife's watching, so I just wanted to get that in there. And then Christmas morning, my, my father would get us up at this ungodly hour on Christmas morning at like 5.30, and we would all, the, the coffee would be ready, and we would have coffee, and then we would pile in the car, and then we would go to church for a Eulita service, which is a Swede's brilliant idea to have a candlelight service in the morning on Christmas morning instead of Christmas Eve. I like the way we do it here. But there was, there was something, I don't know, there's something cool to look back on that time and say, that's what we did. We celebrated the birth of Christ by getting up early on a Sunday morning. And, and that started, that, that tradition, my grandfather didn't make that up. That started in 1897 when the church first started. And they didn't jump, they didn't drink coffee out of the drip thing, you know, and then go out and get in the car that's been warming up for half an hour and drive. Oh no, they, they, would, they would harness up the horse and they would jump in the back of a wagon or sleigh depending on the weather that particular morning and they would ride the five miles to church and be there in time to have this, there was music, Christmas specials and a message celebrating the birth of Christ. Well, a tradition that Joseph and Mary did, um, in verse 41 of Luke chapter 2, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Every year. Every year. And this was a significant commitment because we, you know, I mean, our, 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 the old timers, they would get on their horse and they would ride five miles. And, and, and my brother-in-law, we duplicated that one morning. And it is terrible. I can tell you it was miserable. I got bucked off, had to go back and get the horse, and it was snowing, and we were 20 minutes late, and everybody wondered if we were okay. These guys went from Nazareth to Jerusalem once a year. Um, that's between 85 and 90 miles, depending on the route. And walking this distance, according to Google Maps, would take around 34 hours. Now, I don't know what kind of pace that is. I don't know what kind of road, roads that takes into consideration. I mean, we, I complain about a three-hour drive one way to the airport in Denver, and I bet it was a solid three- or four-day walk one way or even more, depending on how many people were in their group and how old the kids were. And You know, Jesus was 12 when they, they made this particular trek that, that we find in Luke chapter 2. But we continue to see a pattern of obedience, kindness, faithfulness, and commitment. It's obvious in Joseph's life. In one such trip, Jesus was 12 years old, so they've been doing this for 12 years, once a year. Luke chapter 2, verses 43 through 45, after the festival was over, uh, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus... now. Anybody in here ever get left at church? You know, your parents get home and, and you know, they, this, this happened to mostly my brothers most of the time because there was four of them, you know, and they're wrangling them and who knows who's sitting in the back of the station wagon, you know, under the blanket or whatever. And I think I probably got left at church a few times. You know, you get to playing with your friends, that sort of thing, and they get home. Well, that, that happened here. Well, he wasn't playing with his friends, but... Um, and you got to kind of wonder, how did they, how, 
how did, well, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. That happened. Thinking he was in their company, however many people that was, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So for two days they've been walking, and Jesus is unaccounted for. After three days, an additional day of looking, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Twelve years old. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. I mean, I, I, there had to be times when, when they're like, is this the Messiah? He's our son. You know, he's playing with his half-brothers and sisters and, you know, whatever. He skinned his knee probably today. Or I, I. They were amazed, too, at his knowledge and his answers. His month, and then his mother said to him, we don't even hear from Joseph here. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You know, people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God, man, they don't have a leg to stand on. He did it all the time. He, he was almost stoned for it. You know, they don't just stone people out of nowhere. They, stone, they stoned people for blasphemy against God. And when Jesus claimed to be him, they grabbed stones to kill him. And they do that later in the passage that, that I'll point out. But um, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Of course he was. It was Jesus. He was perfect. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus stayed behind at the temple in Jerusalem while his parents began making their way home. When Mary and Joseph realized Jesus wasn't with their caravan to Galilee, wait a minute, did I put that in there twice? I did. Joseph was committed to the law. He was committed to following God faithfully. Are you? Are we? I hope and pray that our answer is yes, because that applies to the commandments of Jesus too. To the reading of God's word, we, we need to know it. We need it, in, we need it in our lives. And of course, doing what it says, not just to be hearers of it on a Sunday morning or, or as we listen to a speaker or whatever, but doers of it, that, that we do it, that it becomes a part of who we are. And as we do, the Holy Spirit forms and fashions us in that way. And Jesus tells us that that shows our love for him. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then the word of God is a major source for our obedience and faithfulness. It's a major source for our understanding of God's story, of Jesus' story, his story, and of history. James 1, 22 through 25 says, says it this way. Do not 
merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Couldn't pick yourself out of a lineup. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. God's story, God's word enables us to live our story in a significant way. In a significant way. In supernatural ways as we trust Jesus, as we listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I, I have heard from young people who, who have experienced a tragic loss in their life say, we know that God is still in control. We know that he has this. We can, we can trust him in this. It, it hurts in the moment. I don't get it. But going forward, we're going to just continue to hang on to him. Because honestly, where else would we turn? There is nowhere else to turn. Uh, I, I spoke at Valley Christian School this week, and uh, I talked about, basically, I sort of cheated. I used last week's sermon, and uh, I sort of tried to you know, bring it down so that the kids could understand. And, and when I was meeting with the fifth graders afterwards, they always ask the speaker questions. And one of the students asked, because we were talking about being sensitive to the Spirit, um, being, being sensitive basically to change in your life. When God changes your plan, what, what do we do? How do we respond to that? And one of the students asked, how do we become sensitive to this? How do we do that? On a daily practical basis, how do we do that? And, and you know what? My, my answer was, I don't know, two or three fold. But, but one of the things that I said is, one of the things that we can do to be sensitive to the spirit is to not think about ourselves as much. And when we think of other people, when, when we put other people above ourselves, that is love. That is how Jesus would want us to live our life. And as we do that, we experience life in the same way that he did. That's what he did. He didn't come here to be served. He came here to serve. And as we think less about ourselves and more about other people, there is this sensitivity that is developed and grown inside of us. And then, and then we see more. We see more things. When we see something that needs to be done or somebody that needs help with something, we just sort of kind of think, well, how can I do that? How can I help them? How can, where can I sacrifice the time to go do that thing? We just do it. We make that an, an active part of our life every day. And as we do that, God just, the spirit just kind of moves into our heart and he shows us other people and, and we serve other people and we do other things and other people see and experience the love of Jesus Christ too. You know, I, I mean, that's, Joseph was, Man, he was a man's man, but he was sensitive about those things. I mean, he, he responded obediently. God said, do this, and he did it every time. Every time. 
May we not merely be hearers of the word, but doers. And then my fourth point today, after talking about these three things, you know, Joseph, an ordinary man, was used by God as part of his story, and our story will become a significant, a significant part in, this, in God's story as well. Your story is a significant part in his story. Now, when Jesus was an adult, people often referred to him as the son of Joseph. He's the son of Joseph. Uh, we see that a couple times in Scripture, though the gospel writers were very careful to point out that, that, that God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, was his biological father. He was God's son. People also referred to Jesus as the carpenter's son. There's one place in Scripture, Matthew chapter 15, I think it's 15, 13. Matthew 13, verse 55, where it talks about Jesus um, being the son of a carpenter. Now, that suggests that Joseph worked as a carpenter or he was in some other type. He was a handyman. I mean, we can all relate to that, right? Um, Joseph was a handyman because that Greek word can also be translated as stonemason or metallurgist. So, so somehow he worked, he worked with his hands. Whatever his vocation was, it's evident that he worked hard to provide for his family, as is common for, I would say, every person in this building. Every person listening in this family or listening to this message has worked hard to provide for themselves or for their family. And, and he did what he could to help Jesus grow in wisdom and stature. Joseph isn't mentioned in any of the stories of Jesus' adult ministry. We don't see that while Mary, his mother, was. Um, occasionally, the absence of Joseph in the stories of Jesus' ministry has led many to believe that Joseph died sometime between the time when Jesus was a young boy and when he launched his public ministry as an adult. It, he just disappears. Um, the fact that Jesus, as he was dying, committed the care of his mother to John gives us evidence that Joseph indeed had, had died. He had passed away. And even though Joseph gets no further mentions, his story was a significant part of Jesus' story. Even if Joseph's part of Jesus' story was only for three years or four years or however long, well, he was still there when Jesus was 12, so we know that Joseph was around for at least 12 years of Jesus' life. His story was still a significant part of Jesus' story, and I want you to remember that this morning, that no matter how small of a part you think that you are playing in, in God's mission to people on the earth, it is a significant part. He has you doing what he, if you're being obedient to him and you're following him, he has you doing what he wants you to do. It, it could be one, it could be one thing. See, the enemy wants to discourage you from thinking that you mean a lot to God, that he has significant things for you to do. The enemy wants you to get discouraged by the mundaneness that life seems to have sometimes. He, he wants you to think that your life um, and how you live it is insignificant and, and that it doesn't impact other people in significant ways. And that's just wrong. I don't care who you are or what you do. Your life impacts other people. The decisions you make, the priorities that you make, how you spend your money, what you say to people, what you think, it affects other people. 
Now, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, I can't remember if I put it up here or maybe you've already turned there since I mentioned it. Matthew 13, verse 55 says, isn't this, isn't this the carpenter's son? They're in Nazareth. Jesus is in his hometown. He's, he's, he's in ministry. And the people are like confused by this. Wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Well, kind of. Yes, but they're half-brothers. And these questions were posed after Jesus' return and, and he he is taught in the synagogue and I bet he likely performed some miracles and that's why people are just dumbfounded that, that this boy that we knew who was growing up, I mean, have you ever met somebody who, who, who left your hometown as a young person and you thought maybe they were destined for prison and instead they became governor of a state or something like that? I mean, they did something that was, and, and you're, you just, you're in disbelief. How did this happen? Well, Jesus left his hometown <laughs> and became the Messiah. And people are, are just, it's like they're offended by him. And the, the questions that, that are being asked are not worshipful or, or sincere, but instead dismissive and sarcastic. I mean, it's like, it's like they're saying, who does Jesus think he is? We know this guy. We know him. We knew him growing up. Where did he come up with all of this? The response to Jesus is to ignore what's happening by saying, oh, I already know what I think about him. I already know what I think about him. And these people declare that they know Jesus' family. They know him as the son of Mary and brother to her other sons, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. However, Jesus is normally described as a half-brother to those four since he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1, 18. And the others were born in a normal fashion to Joseph and Mary. And they would have known that too. So they're doing their best not to see it. Uh, the people in his hometown declare that since they already know who Jesus is, a carpenter's son, presumably a normal resident, there's no reason to think that he could be anything else. Certainly it's not possible he could be powerful or important, whether it is this same visit or not. Luke also describes a moment when the people of Nazareth even attempt to kill Jesus for claiming to be the Messiah. Well, he was. He was the Messiah. He died and he rose again for them just as he did for you and for me. And it would seem that no matter how powerful his preaching or miracles might be, Jesus will never be accepted by those who insist they know better. So please, let's not insist that we know better. Let's listen. Let's faithfully Follow him. Because even today, believers and non-believers alike often cling to inaccurate ideas about Jesus. And in, in their minds, they already know. I already know that. I don't need to learn that. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to think about that. That they have nothing to learn. And may that not be true of us. 
Because as we are learning, Jesus is writing our story. He's writing your story. He has chapters written for you. All you need to do is turn the page and step onto it and read it and listen and follow and obey. And as we leave here today, as we walk the journey of life that God has us on, no matter what happens along the way, you know, no matter what happens, the death of a parent or a broken ankle or a house fire or a miscarriage, no matter what happens, we need to remember that we can live just as Joseph did. We can live lives with a pattern of obedience, knowing that God has significant works for us in his story, just as Joseph did. He was a humble man who faithfully obeyed God. He honored others. He took responsibility. And he worked hard to provide for his family and live his significant story within Jesus' story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. And God, thank you for all those who are here who are, who are engaged in, in knowing more about you and learning how and what it means to follow you and, and even maybe trusting you as their savior for the first time. Lord Jesus, you, I, I, and I just, I, I just thank you. I pray that, that people who look in on our community, uh, that this church is, North Hills Baptist Church, this community of people who are learning and growing and, and, and trying to live by the Spirit and, and in your presence and to follow you faithfully, that, that God help us to, to be able to do that in a humble way, that, that people can look at us as we are, people who make mistakes and struggle and make terrible decisions and poor choices, but people who serve a God who is loving and gracious and who lifts us up by the chin and says, I love you and I forgive you. May we all recognize that, that you do have significance in our seemingly insignificant activities and, and lives. Our, our lives are not insignificant. I know they aren't to you. And, and even, even in our ordinary lives, they are not ordinary. Being one who has been saved by the creator of the universe is an extraordinary person. May we recognize that. May we see that we are loved by you and may we seek to serve others and to love others because you first loved us. And Jesus, help us to continue to, to, to lift our eyes up to you as we enter this last week. For some, it's a marathon week or it, it, it feels like the last stretch of a, of a 300 intermediate hurdle race and there's that last hurdle and that last hurdle might be Christmas Eve, it, it might be Christmas Day. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. That all of the things that we do, that those would point to you, not ourselves. 
Help us to worship you, glorify you, and humble ourselves before you. And be, and be people of character as Joseph was. Hearing your word and following it. Lord, bless. I pray that you would bless everyone who is hearing this message today. And that they would live their story in your story. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we'll see you next Sunday morning and then at 4 and 5.30 or 4 or 5.30. Those cards that we put in your worship folders this morning are for you to invite your neighbors and other family members, etc. Make good use of them. We'll see you next week.